All right, so we are answering questions from Twitter today. So this is kind of cool. So I asked uh, people to tag me using the hashtag D-R-A-L-O show, Dr. Allo show on Twitter or Instagram, what have you. And I want you to answer your questions in depth. The problem with most of these platforms is, you know, you only get a limited amount of characters and a limited amount of space to type up an answer. And if somebody asks a complicated question, it's not that easy to just say, yes, no, here's how it works or what have you. So first question comes from somebody called don't ban me, bro. He says, consider an asymptomatic patient with a positive CAC score, but a negative stress test and no other known cardiac pathology other than a CAC positive. Um, is statin considered primary or secondary prevention? Also, what is the single best study on this particular cohort, assuming there is one? So yes, there's tons of studies on this. This is not a unique uh, scenario at all. Um, this is a really good question. So for those of you who aren't that familiar with the verbiage or the language uh, that is being used, when somebody has a positive CAC, that means their calcium score is above zero. Um, anything under zero, that means you don't have calcium. And for those of you that have been listening to me for a while, calcium is end-stage atherosclerosis. It is very late-stage atherosclerosis, and it means you have plaque that's been there long enough that it is now calcified, which in general is not a good thing. Um but it also means, generally speaking, that you have a lot of plaque that is also not calcified yet. So the next part of the question is, but I had a negative stress test. So he must have had a calcium score done. He went to get a stress test done afterwards. So whoever he saw, whoever ordered the CAC or, you know, he ended up seeing a cardiologist, um, they saw that he had a positive CAC score or calcium score and said, hey, you know, we're not sure what to do with this. You have no symptoms. Let's do a stress test. Now, a stress test is a provocative uh, test. It's also a functional test. Functional in the world of cardiology and stress testing means that we are actually looking at how how capable are you. Um, so a, a calcium score is a not dynamic. It's a static test. You just sit there, they shoot a picture, calculate your calcium. A coronary uh, CT angiogram or CCTA is very similar. You just kind of sit there. We drop your heart rate to about 50 with some medications, inject some dye, and take some pictures. Also a static test. It's not a functional test. A stress test is a functional test. We put you on the treadmill. We take pictures before. We put you on a treadmill. We get your heart rate up to a, to a higher level, to a certain number that we need to get to, to so that the test is useful. We get your heart rate up to about 85% of age-predicted maximum. We may go higher if it's a echo, stress echo, but but you generally speaking, most stress tests, if it's a treadmill and a nuclear scan, we will go to 85% of age predicted maximum. That's 220 minus your age usually. And we kind of go from there. Um, that's your age predicted maximum, maximum, 220 minus age. So if you're like 40, you'd end up being at 180. Um, so that, that's a functional test. Not only are we looking at how well the blood flows through your art, arteries and, and perfuses your myocardium, your heart muscles, while you are undergoing the stress, but we compare it to how it looked under non-stress conditions, like, you know, at rest. Um, so that's a really uh, good test. Another predictor that we use from a stress test is how long did you last on the treadmill? If you barely do two or three minutes, your functional capacity is quite low. If you get to seven METs, M-E-T-S, metabolic equivalent of task, if you get to seven METs, that's an accurate, that's the minimum you need to call the test accurate or reliable. 
So we want most people to get to at least seven Mets. That's the equivalent of, so going up and down this, going up the a flight of stairs while carrying laundry or carrying groceries is about four Mets. So it's a little bit more than that. Um, it's a, it's definitely exertional uh, and it's a little bit more than just, you know, going up a flight of stairs. So we want to get you to at least seven Mets to, in order to count the test as a accurate or reliable uh, test. So that's important to know. So he's saying he had the calcium score. It was positive. Now, he does not mention how positive or not positive it was. We'll get into the details. And he says he passed the stress test. He did well on the stress test. So I don't know if he had a treadmill-only stress test. There are three to four different kinds of stress tests. One of them is a treadmill-only. You get on a treadmill. We look at your EKG. Based on your EKG, we know how well you're doing. Another one is with imaging, which may be a nuclear stress test or echocardiography. Both of those count as uh, imaging tests. The next kind of stress test, we can use medications to simulate exercise. This would be like something like dobutamine maybe or something like that. Um, and, you know, ver various combinations of medications and imaging can kind of alter the stress test. And regardless of which type of stress test he had, the fact it was negative is very, very good. So it doesn't matter if he did exercise only or he had imaging, didn't have imaging, what have you. Still, that's a very, very good result. But that does not mean that he does not have lesions. A stress test will pick up lesions that block your arteries greater than 50 to 60%. If it's more than that, obviously your stress test would be abnormal. But any blockage that's at least 50 to 60% blocked, a stress test will generally be abnormal and you'll pick those up. Now, we generally do not stent blockages that are 50 to 60% blocked, but it means he will need a cardiac catheterization. So if you have a 50 to 60% blockage, your stress test is positive, we will do a cardiac cath, and if we find the blockage and it's above 70%, then the data shows that a stent will help. Now, it also depends on uh, many other factors, but this is just kind of in general. It also could, you know, it, you could opt to not get a stent, and just take medications. Studies have shown in the past that optimal medical therapy versus stenting, the mortality data is the same. However, with a stent, you will immediately feel better. You have a 70% blockage. When you exert yourself, you're out of breath. When you do things, you get chest pain, what have you. The stent makes that go away immediately. Medications will take time. It'll take about six months, but they can give you similar relief. Um, obviously it's not as instantaneous as opening up the artery immediately. So that is one thing to keep in mind. Now, the next part of his question was, and I have no other cardiac pathology other than a positive uh, calcium score. So is a statin his first question? So that's kind of the background. Is a statin considered primary or secondary prevention? So statin medications, we usually divide up treatment um, into primary, meaning you've never had a cardiac event, although the definition has changed now from primordial to primary to secondary, tertiary, and quartiary. I don't know how to pronounce that fourth one. Um, so we, we have changed the diagnosis in the past, but I think he's going by the original. Uh, we have changed, I'm sorry, not in the past. We've changed the way we classify these now um, because we added primordial, tertiary, and quartiary, or quartary. I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, but he's going by probably the older definition. Um, is this? And I go over these in my uh, cholesterol book as to what is actually primary and secondary prevention. 
But he's asking, is this considered primary or secondary prevention? In this older definition or nomenclature, primary prevention is we want to prevent a first heart attack from ever happening, first heart attack or stroke. Secondary prevention is you've already had one. Now we want to prevent you from having another one. That's kind of how we uh, you know, define those now, or at least used to. So in the terms of primary prevention, there was a, a study recently published where if your calcium score is above 300 and you've never had a heart attack, it is as you should treat it as aggressively as if the person already had a heart attack. So I don't know. He didn't mention his actual calcium score numbers, but if he's under 300, then this would be primary prevention. If he's above 300, we can consider this secondary prevention. It is as if he's had a heart attack or stroke already, and we have to prevent future ones. That's how bad that magical cutoff seems to be around 300. Anything above 300 and you have serious problems, um, anything below, you have to treat it aggressively still, but it's also not as serious as if you already had a heart attack. Now, the reason we need to treat this aggressively in either case is because you've demonstrated that you have end-stage disease. You have plaque that is so bad that it is calcified. Calcium is a late-stage finding. When you are a teenager in your 20s, 30s, and 40s, maybe, depending on how high your LDL cholesterol is, you're not going to have calcium. You'll have soft plaque. It'll get worse over time. It'll eventually become necrotic and fibrous, and you get a fibrous cap, and eventually your artery remodels to try to keep the lumen open, and then eventually it encroaches on the lumen, and you get little calcifications along the way, and the calcium score slowly goes up. You know, starting around where it becomes a fibrous plaque, and you know, further than that, it starts to calcify. So this means that he's had long-standing high cholesterol, at least too high for him. It doesn't even matter what the number is. Let's say it's normal. You know, he gets a lipid panel. His whole life, they've been telling him it's normal. It doesn't matter what that number is. It is way too high for you. It needs to come down by about 50%. So if his number was and I'm just throwing these numbers out there. Let's say his total cholesterol, or let's say LDL, uh, was 200, it needs to be 100. If it was 100, it needs to be 50. If it was 130, it needs to be below 60. So whatever the number is, in primary prevention, we generally want to drop you below 100. All, all comers, we don't know anything about you. We generally want you under 100 if you are looking at primary prevention. Now, if you have multiple risk factors, Everybody in your family has heart disease, you're a smoker, you're obese, you're diabetic, you know, all these other things. We definitely might need to get more aggressive. We might want you under 60 or 70 or 50, you know, maybe not 50, but you know what I'm saying. You need to be a little more aggressive. Now, if he comes in and saying my calcium score is over 300, absolutely. In my practice, he needs to be under 55. This guy's already had a heart attack or stroke and we're trying to prevent another one. With me and my patients, we want them under 55 in this scenario. Um, there's just nothing else. Like I've seen these patients, their LDL is still 78, 98, 82. And everyone's like, Oh, you're fine. You're at goal. No, you're not. That's the old goal. Second of all, they're having, they're coming back in a few years with their, another heart attack, another stroke, more stents, open heart surgery, another a graft goes down. They got to put a stent in it. They got to redo open heart surgery. Valve, aortic valve goes bad, all that kind of stuff. Um, and the data is pretty clear on that, uh, at this point in time. We know what happens um, with these people. So definitely, that would be my approach. Now, you could, and I'm a preventative cardiologist. I want you to never need a cardiologist, never need my services, never need open heart surgery, all of that. Um, the next question he asks, also, what is the single best study on this particular cohort? Assuming there is one. So there's lots of studies. I don't know. I'd have to go look to find you like 
this exact scenario. There's been a lot of studies published on this. You can look at all the primary and secondary prevention trials. You can look at the recent, if you Google um, calcium score 300 secondary prevention, you'll, you'll find the study. It was actually published by Matthew Budoff. Um, calcium score over 300. Basically, you need to treat this person like secondary prevention, which is super aggressive and get those numbers down because it is too high. Now, like I said, a lot of this question hinges on whether what the number is. If his calcium score is like a 7, 8, 10, you know, that's not that high, but it still shows that he has end-stage disease. In my practice, I would definitely want him under 60 or at least definitely like, like bare minimum, he has to be under 70. If he wants to make sure this never advances and never happens again or he doesn't end up with a heart attack or stroke or luminal irregularities, luminal narrowing, you know, plugged up arteries later in life, then I would get him under 55. Now, this is not exactly the guidelines and all that. The guidelines, the problem is they take forever to catch up to the data and science. And the problem is they're also afraid of putting the numbers too low because of the huge backlash. Everyone's like, oh my God, you guys just want to get everybody on stents. The guidelines, the people that don't write the, the guidelines don't really care whether you take stents or not. You know, they're not, you know, affiliated with any of this and all stents are generic and no one's paying them. So that's not the question. The problem is when they're writing these guidelines is they're always like, you know, if we set it too low, like for example, when they were doing the diabetes, the new guidelines that they were going to include hemoglobin A1C and fasting glucose, they said, you know, if we lower the A1C too much, we're going to have a whole host of people now defined as diabetic that were not diabetic before. So that's the risk you run. Well, you guys just want to put more people on medications. Look, if you're freaking diabetic and you're destroying your body from the inside out with high blood sugars, don't you want to know 20 years before you destroy your artery or your organs and body from the inside out? Like, do you want us to wait 15, 20 years and then finally tell you, hey, by the way, you're diabetic, buddy? No, you don't want to do that. So it's the same thing here. Um, we want you to get this under control ahead of time. So we're always worried about when we write the guidelines, if we say LDL needs to be under 50 or a physiologic is 20 to 40 or what have you, people are going to be like, uh, you guys are just a bunch of shills for big pharma. You guys just want this. You guys just want money. Like, first of all, no, that is not true. No one's making money off this stuff. We're just trying to save lives. Heart disease is the number one killer, and we are trying to save you from yourself, your genetics, your eating habits, your health concerns, your family history, your what have you. Um, so that's all it is. We're just we're just trying to help you out. But anyways, if he gives me his number, I'll be able to give him a, a little bit better. But if he doesn't give me his number, once he listens to this, and this is don't ban me, bro. <laughs> don't worry, I'm not going to ban you. Um, but the only people I ban are like people start cussing or screaming and, you know, making fun of how everybody looks and calling people names. Like, I mean, I don't have time for that. I'm a, you know, professor of medicine at multiple schools and a board certified cardiologist. You know, we can have intelligent discussions, but I'm not going to entertain, you know, the, the, the 12 year olds. Um, but definitely if your calcium score is above 300, I would be super aggressive. You know, I'd want it under 55 for sure. If your calcium score is under 300, you know, if you're under 100, I'll probably be okay with you being just under 70 on your LDL. If it's like a 6 or a 7 or in the single digits, I would still want you under 70. Um, it just depends on how aggressive you want to be. Me personally, with my own uh, patients and my own family and my own body, and, and if it was up to me, I would, want, I would want you, somebody with a positive calcium score, any positive calcium score, I would want them under 55. Just to make sure this just does not happen, they don't come back you know, 10 years later, 20 years later and say, Hey doc, you know, why didn't you tell me that I was still building plaque? You, you told me it was okay. So that would be my approach. Uh, don't ban me, bro. 
that's his name. I hope you uh, learned from this and enjoyed it. If you have any follow-up questions, the follow-ups are probably a lot easier to do them on Twitter. Go ahead and uh, drop a follow-up. Maybe drop your CAC score in there if you want to. I'll post this link under there. And uh, hopefully this was beneficial. If you guys want more stuff like this, hashtag Dr. Allo Show on Twitter, D-R-A-L-O Show on Twitter, and I will answer your questions in depth and in detail like this. If you want the first month free of joining my community, go to drallo.net slash community. You can join for free. Just type in one month, all caps, the number one, then month, all caps. We talk about this stuff all day and all night. We do weekly Zooms, answer questions. It's been pretty life-changing for all the people that are in there. I will catch you on the other side. Peace.